Evening, everyone. My name's Stuart, in case you haven't met me before. I'll be speaking. Uh, when Cathy started that reading, I thought, oh, that was my favourite verse when I was a teenager. Greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> I said, it's a command from God, girls. <laughs> uh, I've changed my ways. No, not really. <laughs> Why don't I pray? We'll get more serious. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this passage from Romans. Help us to uh, understand what it says and apply it to our lives. For Jesus' sake, amen. Now we come to the end of Romans. It's taken us a couple of months. When do we start? A long time ago. And uh, Stu said to me, I said, well, what am I going to do with this? He said, oh, choose your own adventure, which is what I've done. So we're going to talk about Christmas tonight. Two days till Christmas. Can you believe it? Well, you probably can. <laughs> Have you done everything? Have you wrapped all the presents, Ali? Have you? Got all the food organised? No more shopping tomorrow? Wow. You're unique. <laughs> Sometimes it's things like the gas bottle that need to be filled and you think, oh, I haven't done that. It's was day. What do you really want from Christmas this year? What, what are you after? What's your heart's desire? Sometimes it's... Just for the family to get together and there to be no fights this year. No incidents. No one nearly drowns in a swimming pool this year at your grandmother's place or something like that. What are you searching for? You know, in the hustle and bustle of Christmas, sometimes we forget the message, don't we? As Christians, we know it's all about the incarnation of Jesus, of God becoming a man in, in the form of Jesus, coming into our world. And we look around us and we see others who don't seem to have that idea at all in their heads. The sort of the mystery of Christmas that they're searching for has got to do with um, good times and good feelings and coloured lights and Christmas trees and food and sometimes carols. Um, and it sort of fosters this idea of warmth and, and happiness, this sort of feel-good uh, idea of Christmas. Um, some sort of transcendental moment of joy that we'd like to recapture from time to time. And the mystery is not rooted in any way with the birth of Jesus. Uh, it's interesting also that many use religious imagery to capture this mystery. So we're quite happy to hum along to Christmas carols, like Silent Night. If you ever listen to that carol and you look at the words, they're so deep in theology, it's unbelievable. But we just hum along to it as sort of gives us that nice feeling of Christmas. And uh, we stick up nativity scenes next to Santa in our front yard once a year we're happy to go to church and listen to a sermon, as long as it's not too long. And this warm feeling of the baby Jesus and the carols all have a role to play in making this mystery of Christmas come true for us. I went um, looking at uh, carols, lights the other day in windows, in, in uh, walking around the streets with my family. And uh, it was one of those days when it wasn't hailing, so it was pretty good. We got, we got, we got around. And uh, people go to a lot of expense. I, you, do you put lights in your place? No, Lauren doesn't. I've noticed that, Lauren. Um, and uh, like a lot of expense. And uh, there was one house we went to and it just had all the bells and whistles. It had everything going for it. Uh, and uh, there was a, a, an elder lady sitting outside in a chair and she was just wrapped in it all. I think she was um, the grandma probably of the, the owner of the house and she was just sitting in there 
and they even had a snow machine you could walk under and the kids were getting... Well, she was in seventh heaven. For her, this was a mystery. She discovered it. It was all about the joy on people's faces. Now, I wonder if Christians sometimes were all that different. We're still looking for that feeling, that search of some mystical experience that even transcends Jesus himself at Christmas time. We're not the only ones, or those who come and visit aren't the only ones who hope the sermon will be short on Sunday morning. The joy we're looking for is something that happens after church on Sunday or on the day when Christmas falls. Religious worship can help foster the mystery, but the mystery lies somewhere else. Now, in Paul's day, I don't think they celebrated Christmas, but people certainly were still on a search to find joy and contentment and pleasure and peace. And Paul was only too happy to introduce him to Jesus in, in this search. And we're going to look at the end of Romans and see what Paul says about this mystery and what can be discovered about it. So you no need to look at your Bibles because I'm going to have it all up on the screen here for us to look at. But the mystery of Christmas has the lights. And we're just going to look at these last couple of verses. And let me read them to you. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now as we look at that passage, I want you to know three things about this mystery that Paul talks about. Firstly, what's the goal? What's the goal of this mystery? Secondly, how can we be brought to that goal? And thirdly, what's the way in which we're brought to that goal? So the goal, who is it that brings us to this goal? And then the way in which we're brought to that goal. And I'm hoping that Paul can reorientate our thinking for a little while so that we begin to think of different ways and uh, in right places about the goal that Paul lays out before us this season. It's a goal that's probably not on the top of your wish list, hasn't got anything to do with joy or happiness, the goal that Paul lays out before us is the obedience that comes through faith. That's the thing we really need at this Christmas time. In fact, every time of the year. It's something that we should be seeking after. And from the passage, you see, it's something that God wants for us. Now, to him who is able to establish in you, that's what God wants for us, the joy that comes through the obedience of faith. It's nothing new in the book of Romans. Paul actually opens the book with these words. Uh, if we go back to Romans chapter 1 and uh, we read this, I'll read the bits in yellow. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his Son. Through him we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to what? To the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So, it's not just faith, it's not just a belief, it's the obedience that comes through faith. Faith leads to action. Now what's the obedience that Paul's talking about here? Well, the dictionary tells us that obedience is when you comply to what somebody else wants. They give you instructions, they give you rules to follow, they might give you restrictions. And uh, we know that we were created initially to be in a perfect relationship to a God who loved and cared for us. 
And we know that God was to rule over us in a good and perfect way. And we'd receive blessings when God ruled over us if we continued to obey him. The blessings would fall. We know that God created us in such a way that uh, there'd be great and deep satisfaction when we lived in obedience to God. That ache in our bellies for what life is all about, that, that answer would be there when we obeyed Jesus and we obeyed the Father in heaven. The Bible's clear, very clear teachings, obedience brings life and blessing, contentment and satisfaction. Disobedience brings curse and death, discontentment, frustration, disappointment and pain. When I was about 10, my mum said, don't go near snakes. We used to go up the mountains fairly regularly. She said, don't go near snakes. So me and my brothers, well, we threw stones at snakes. We didn't go near them, we threw stones from a distance. My mum said, don't go near the cliff edge. Well, my brothers and I egged each other on to see who could go closest to the cliff edge. One day, I ran down a track and I got to the cliff edge and it was a lookout and there was a fence and I climbed over the fence and I stood on the other side and I didn't touch the railing. I said, look, mum, no hands. Yeah, she shook her head too. In fact, she did more than that, Ali. I felt discontentment after that. I felt frustration, disappointment and a lot of pain. I knew what obedience was and I knew what disobedience was. Now when God tells us to be obedient, he doesn't do it in words we can't understand. Uh, He doesn't give us incomprehensible, elusive principles. He gives us very clear statements. You see it at Mount Sinai when God gives the law to Moses. He gives concrete commands and restrictions and instructions to human life. So if we obey God, we'll be blessed. The repeated refrain in the Bible is this, do this and you shall live. Now, we've got a problem here, haven't we? Because we don't do this. We don't obey God. We don't fully ex- experience the blessings that God has for us. We aren't, we aren't blessed by his good and perfect rule because we aren't obedient children. It was true in the garden. Adam and Eve were told explicitly what to do and what not to do, and yet they failed in their obedience. Now, of course, their relationship with God was wrecked. Their relationship with each other and with creation was wrecked. We know that the choices they made as a result of their sin have effects on us. We are born to disobedient parents and we ourselves are disobedient people. We have an inclination to do what is wrong. We aren't told as children uh, to do the wrong thing. That just comes so naturally to us. One of the first words we ever learn to say is no. And we're still saying it, we're old. Paul sums it up this way, chapter 8 in the book of Romans, he says, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. We just can't do what God asks us to do because we are so inclined to do the wrong thing. So how do we ever obtain this obedience that God requires to receive the blessings? Paul tells us in this passage that God can produce us in it. Let's have a look again. And I'll just read again the little bit in in yellow. Now, to him who's able to establish you, and then he gives a a couple of according to's, he gives some reasons why, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. See, God is the one who can establish that obedience in us. So what's the process? How does God make us obedient people if we can't do it ourselves? Well, Paul says it's according to three things. You can see on the, uh, 
on the slide there in the white. It's according to my gospel, that's Paul's gospel. It's according to the message that he proclaims about Jesus and it's about the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages but now revealed. So let's delve in and have a look at those three things for a minute. Now, they're intimately related. They're not sort of three separate things. They're very closely related here. There's no doubt that Paul's gospel is the preaching of Christ. It's a message that came directly from God. Some say Paul made up his gospel and it's not exactly what Jesus had to say, but Paul was adamant that what he said was true. Just have a look at those words for yourself as you read through them quietly and uh, have a look and uh, we'll get to the end and I'll say something about it. Paul says what he received was a revelation from Jesus. It wasn't taught by any man. If you add to this gospel or you take away from this gospel, it's not the gospel. What's Paul's gospel about? Well, in uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul says this in chapter 1 and then again in chapter 2. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And then later on down, so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's Paul's gospel. It's all about Jesus, the man who came into our world and died for our sins. Here's the one who took on human nature, living in perfect obedience to his Father. He knows no sin. He secures a place that no one ever has secured, where he stands before the Father and God looks at him and says, you are perfect. You live in perfect obedience to me. And yet Paul's gospel declares that in that obedience, Jesus willingly died on the cross. He died in our place. In and through his death, he secured delivery for us. He delivered us from sin and death scraps. He rose from the grave. He gives us his spirit to indwell us, to regenerate us and change us and renew us and to make us understand who Jesus is. And it's this spirit that gives us the gift of faith as we have in Jesus. He's our saviour and Lord and our God. The spirit is one who renews our affection for God so we can love him and we can learn to love others and we can conform to the image of Jesus. This is the message that Paul has been unpacking all through the book of Romans. That's a summary of what he's been talking about so far. And according to Paul, God works to bring about this obedience of faith. Well, let's look at the third according to to finish off with. That third one has to do with the Old Testament, doesn't it? According to or in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. When I was young again, my mum lost her engagement ring. We searched the house for a long time. We couldn't find it. It was like the parable of the lady who lost the the ring and then rejoiced when she found it. We didn't rejoice because we didn't find it. Um, A month later, my uncle was hosing in his garden. He just lived up the road a little bit. And as he was hosing, he turned over a leaf and sparkling amongst the leaf litter was my mum's engagement ring. It had always been there. It just hadn't been revealed yet. The gospel had always been there in the Old Testament. It was being revealed bit by bit, but it hadn't been truly revealed. We see it as we, as we read the Old Testament. Uh, 
It just didn't pop up. Ever since our rebellion, God has been working towards revealing the mystery to us about how he would save us. He'd been promising for centuries that he'd take away people's sins, that he'd cleanse them, that he'd make their hearts new so they just didn't obey a law, they obeyed from the heart. Now, during this Old Testament time, God had done lots of things, and you can see it here. Uh, He'd worked with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to bring about the people of God. He'd led them out of Egypt. He'd uh, taken them into the promised land. During that period of the judges, they'd been able to settle in the land, and God raised up people to look after them. He gave them kings. Some were very wise. Some were very stupid. But all the time, God was working towards saving his people. He gave them prophets who warned them and talked to them about how God would ultimately bring salvation to them. However, in spite of all these wondrous things, it was clear at the end of the Old Testament era that that salvation had not yet arrived. As the centuries rolled on, for ages, the great mystery that confronted God's people was this question. How will God actually save us? When's he going to do it? How will he cleanse us from our sins once and for all? How will he make us obey him from the heart? How will he defeat our enemies and when will he do this? So the big question was how and when? See, this was a great mystery of the Old Testament religion. Throughout the Old Testament, people didn't have to ascend to a higher plane to contemplate and to think about what this mystery was. It wasn't like that. The mystery was a question that needed an answer. And in the coming of Jesus, in his perfect life, his resurrection, his ascension, his giving of the Spirit and Paul's interpretation of the prophetic writings for us, God finally revealed the answer to the great mystery of the ages. The answer is the answer to every Sunday school question. Jesus, ever was, ever will be, the definitive answer to all human beings. You don't need to wait for something or something else that's deeper or higher This gospel not only promises forgiveness of sins, it also promises that the righteousness of Christ is given to you so that when God looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner. He sees someone who is covered by the blood and the character of Jesus. What an amazing God who can execute such a plan of salvation after we stuffed up. So this Christmas season, I have a question for you. Let's go back to that original question. What is it you're seeking over this period? I suggest you seek the true mystery of Christmas. It's not a mystery you've got to figure out. It's not a mystery where you can use a little religion to help you sort of transcend to that spirit of joy and happiness. This season, look to Jesus not as a tool to your holiday happiness, but as an answer to the question of the ages. You know, the Christmas tree's finally going to come down. And if it's anything like my place, it's going to look like that picture there. (laughs) The mess is on the floor. You've got to clean up. You've got to take the lights down. You've got to wash up. You've got to get rid of the relatives who want to stay on. Was that feel-good experience what it was all about? Do you have to wait till next year to feel that way again? No. Look to Jesus. Look, believe, obey, and live. Jesus is the definitive answer to that great question. How can I be right with God? How can I have that longing in my soul uh, cared for and answered? And the answer is Jesus. Let me finish with the words of Jesus himself, who on the last time he met with his disciples had this to say, 
Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Faith put into action shows that Christians are those who not only believe but live out uh, their faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for showing us your word as we finish off Romans. As Paul reveals to us a great mystery that he's been talking about in that book. We thank you that Jesus has been revealed to us. We live on the other side of the cross. We can see it all being fulfilled. We long for that day when that mystery is finally revealed forever and we come face to face with the Lord Jesus and see him in all his awesome glory. Thank you, Father, that each Christmas just gives us a glimpse of that. We pray, Father, that we might be obedient children and those who love you through what we do and what we say. Amen. Uh, We've got time for some questions, if anyone's got any questions to ask tonight.